Thank you for joining us on the Overcoming Monday podcast with Shari King. This past weekend, we served over 1,300 students in Gatlinburg, Tennessee at Crossroads Winter Conference. Search Clayton King Ministries on Facebook and relive the incredible life-changing moments from this past weekend. We had several CKM speakers teaching us, including Clayton and Shari King, Matt Holloman, Marquise Cox, Nick Hurst, Jacob King, and Greg Wells. Thank you so much for joining us this season, and let's get to the podcast. This podcast is a message I gave at Crossroads Summer Camp called How Knowing Jesus Changes Everything. Very often, a relationship with Jesus is sold as a free gift, which secures eternal life in heaven. But we all know that our relationship with Christ, while it is a gift of God, it was not free. Our salvation not only required Jesus to sacrifice his life for us, but it also calls us to take up our cross and follow him. In this message, I explain how the gospel of Christ requires us to change everything if we want to be true disciples. I know you'll be encouraged, so let's get ready to listen. Hey, you guys. Have y'all had a great day? It's been a little rainy, it's been a little muddy, but I think that adds some fun to everything, right? I heard some of you were playing gaga ball in a wet sand pit. Anyone? (laughs) I bet that was interesting. Anyway, my sons came home. Did anyone play with my boys today? They played Epic. Anyone? I love Epic. It's so fun, and they had so much fun. So before we start tonight, let's all, uh, let's all bow our heads. We're going to pray before we start the message. Lord, I thank you so much for this week. I thank you for every person here. I thank you that you promised to be with us when we gather together, and so we thank you for that tonight as well. God, I pray that we would um, come to a greater knowledge of you tonight, that we would have fun, but also, Lord, that we would learn how to enjoy you, learn how to hear you, learn how to be changed by you, and learn how to just be receptive to what you have to say to us. So I ask that we would all have open hands and open hearts and that you would speak to us. And I thank you in advance. In your name I pray, amen. All right. So, last night, you guys heard from my husband. He talked about what it means to be reborn, why we need to be reborn. And so, the longest story of that is it began when God created the heavens and the earth, right? And he had this whole host of angels, and there was one angel named Lucifer, and he decided to rebel, He decided that he wanted to be greater than God, and so he led a rebellion against God, and he was thrown out of heaven. Well, that same evil angel came to the first two people who God made, and they were good. And when God made them, he called them good. He called his creation good. But that fallen angel did not like God's creation, and so he came to them and he tempted them to do the same thing that he did, to turn against God as well, to decide not to trust in all the good things that God 
had for them, and so he said he caused them to doubt God's goodness, and they did. And they chose to disobey. And God had told them, do not eat from this certain fruit in the garden, and yet the serpent caused them to question what God was saying and whether what he was saying and how he was guiding them was the best thing for them. And they decided that it was not. And so they went against what God said and they chose to believe instead the serpent and they rebelled. And from that time, sin entered the world and death as well. That's why we all die. We all die at some point in our lives. And death came into the world at that point. And man and woman, both, now, all of us, will die if we don't understand how to be restored to God. And that's why we need to be reborn. That's why God came in the form of Jesus and died for us in our place. That's why he did it, because he loved us and he didn't want us to continually end our fate in death, but to be able to live with him, because that's why he created us in the first place to fellowship with him, to be with him, and to enjoy all of his goodness. So being reborn, everything that God has done in that area is for us. He did this because he is a good God, because by nature, he is good. By nature, he is merciful. Merciful. By nature, he chooses mercy over wrath. And so we each get this opportunity to be restored to God even though we are living in a sinful world that ends in death, God chose to give us a different outcome. And so tonight we're going to talk about what it means to be reborn in a different way. We're going to talk about how, how encountering Jesus changes everything. Encountering Jesus should change everything in us. It should change the way that we see life. It should change the way that we behave. It should change the who we worship and how we worship. It should change the, the position of ourselves toward God and that we are open toward him instead of scared and hiding from him. Encountering Jesus should change everything. And let me read a scripture to show you that this is true. In Luke 14, 27 through 33, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he is here teaching his disciples what it means to follow God and who God is and what it means to love God. And Jesus says in Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the best, the cost, to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation, he can't finish it. All the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all of his possessions cannot be my disciples. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that, it will cost you everything. You have to take up your cross and you follow me. There's something that I believe that we're believing in this world and in this society. I, th I believe that Christianity has gotten a little bit watered down, and let me show you how. I believe that 
sometimes when we say that salvation is a free gift, we just think that it's something that we receive that requires nothing of us. And yes, salvation doesn't require, we don't have to work to earn our salvation, but just like salvation costs Jesus his life, we should also lay down our lives because when we become Christians, we become like Christ. That's what Christian means, little Christ. But I think what's happened in our world is that we've taken away, we, we, somehow it's gotten removed the cost of following Christ. We think, oh yes, I've got this free gift and now I can go to heaven and so I'm just going to live the way that I want. It doesn't require anything of me because it's free. Look, it's free and that it's given to you, to you and I and we don't have to work for it, but it's not free because it costs Jesus everything. Salvation costs Jesus his life. And so for us to say it's free and take advantage of it, it would, is actually taking advantage of the gift of Christ himself. And so I believe in some ways the gospel has been cheapened. And let me show you one way. And, and, and I understand um, this may be an extreme example, but I think it's a good one. In our culture, we label things Christian that cannot be Christian. Like, for instance, we have Christian t-shirts, Christian music. We have Christian uh, paraphernalia. We have Christian uh, books. We have Christian, so many Christian things. We label things Christian, but guess what? A book or a t-shirt or music doesn't need to be saved. It has no soul. And so while we're trying to categorize what kind of music it is, Part of me thinks that we've taken away the power of what it means to follow Christ by labeling things that don't need Christ's salvation as Christian. The only people who need salvation, the only true things that can be called Christian is someone who turns from their sin and decides, I am a sinful person. I need to be redeemed. I want to have a relationship with God and so I'm going to trust Jesus for this. And so tonight, what I want to do, I want to walk through uh, what it means to believe in Jesus. What does it mean to lay down everything? What does it mean to lay down our cross? What is it that Jesus requires? What is it that he taught us it means to be a Christian? Do we believe these things? When we're looking at this tower, like it says in Luke, that we're building Jesus is saying, all of you are building a tower with who you are. And as you commit to being a Christian, as you commit to being a follower of Christ, we need to all count the cost. What does it look like? What materials will it cost? What's going to require of me to be a follower of Christ? What did Jesus say it would require? And the big thing he said is it, take, it means that you're going to have to take up your cross. It means that we're going to have to die to ourselves in order to follow him. That's a real price. And so while he gives us salvation as his gift, this doesn't mean that it doesn't require anything of us. And if we think that it has no requirements, then our Christian faith won't look real to us. Our Christian faith won't look real to other people. We will question if it's real because we will wonder where the power is when we're not denying ourselves, we lose the power of what 
the gospel is because we lose the power of what Christ did. So I want to I want to go to Acts because Acts is the is a second book in the Bible written by someone who we know as Luke. So Luke wrote two books, all right? He wrote Luke, the gospel, and he wrote Acts. In Luke, the gospel, he wrote everything that Jesus did when he was a man, how he came to earth, he was born, all the ministry that he did as both God and man, okay? It ends with his death and resurrection and ascension. But that wasn't enough. And Luke's like, look, this first volume is all about Jesus' work on earth. But there's another whole volume that we need to know. And this whole volume is Acts. And Acts begins, actually, with reviewing the fact that Jesus came on earth and he ministered and he showed us who the Father was. He lived a perfect life. He was crucified. He resurrected. And then he ascended. Acts begins with him talking to the disciples and saying, and now that all this has happened, let me tell you what you're responsible for now. I want you to go into all the world and tell them everything that's happened. Go into all the world. You now have this message. You have my story. You must share it. Because if you don't share it, no one will know. Here's the reality. What if the disciples had just said, oh, cool, Jesus saved us, and they went back home and told no one? None of us would have this belief that we have today. What if they believed that their gos- the gospel was only for them because Jesus only came for them? But Jesus says, no, that's not the case. So we're going to look in Acts. And we're going to see what he says, what Luke is writing in the beginning of Acts. And this is what we are all called to. By the way, so in Acts 1, 1 through 9, it says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. That's when he was taken up into heaven, when he ascended to the throne. After he had given instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days." So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took them him out of their sight. So here's what's happened to the disciples, okay? They've lived with Jesus. He's taught them for the past, you know, three years. He's been teaching them what it is to be like the Father, who he is, and who the Father is. And 
He's teaching them the, the gospel message, what it's like to be reborn, what it means to be reborn, okay? And then he dies, and they're all pretty much devastated, and they don't really know what's going on. Look, you and I would not know what was going on either. It would be very scary. We'd be like, okay, this is the savior of the world, and then he died, and we don't know where he is, but then he comes back. And I don't know if you've ever heard this, but for 40 days, he's in this new resurrected body. A body that won't perish, but still has wounds. A body that will not die, but can pass through walls and eats with them and talks with them and teaches them. Jesus is spending these 40 days putting all the puzzle pieces of what he did together for them. I think it was like this big Q&A, right? Because in Jewish culture, when you had a question and someone was teaching, you would ask questions. And it wasn't embarrassing. And if you didn't know something, you would ask. So they're asking Jesus now, who was risen from the dead, okay, so you died for three days. And now you're here. And what are we to do? And he's telling them what he's instructing them. He's putting the puzzle pieces together. He's taking the Old Testament and showing them how he's fulfilled everything and how he is the purpose for all of us. How now there is this opportunity for every person who has sinned to now be restored to God. And he's telling them, you will die too, but if you believe in me, you also will resurrect from the dead and spend eternity with me and my Father in heaven. So here's the reality. He's saying to them, this is the truth of the gospel. And if you believe it, you need to tell other people because why would you not? There's an entire world out there that needs to be saved. And my father sent me to teach you so that you could go out and tell. And so they do. And they teach it and they live it so much so that most of the disciples that we know of were martyred and died. That's how much they believed what it was that they were taught and lived and saw Jesus do. And then they went out and they told, they lived their life in a way that reflected Jesus. And they did not allow the world to cause them to back down. Now, did they make mistakes? Yes, we all make mistakes. Did they learn and press on? Yes, they did. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. What are some of the things that Jesus claimed? Because encountering Jesus, we're going to talk about why encountering Jesus changes everything. It changes everything because if we believe what he says, then we have to do what he says. If he is truly our Savior and God, then our lives have to change. They can't continue in the same way. So I want to ask you guys, here are some things that Jesus says, and I want to, to ask you if, if you've read scripture, maybe answer these things in your mind. Does Jesus do what he says? That's where we're asking ourselves right now. Does his teaching line up with what he did? That's where we're asking ourselves tonight. Does Jesus do what he say? Does he do what he say? Oh, said. Does he do what he say? Well, Maybe. <laughs> That's how you say it. Okay, so number one, Jesus said he was sent by Almighty God, by God the Father. He said he was sent 
by the Father. Do we believe that he lived with the Father forever, that he's always been, always existed, that he has been one with the Father, and then, and then he was sent to save us from our sins? Do we believe that? Do we believe what he says? Do we believe that he was both man and God? Scripture says that he was um, conceived of the Holy Spirit, but born of a virgin Mary. So he was man through Mary and God through the Holy Spirit. Do we believe that Jesus was perfect, that he was both God and man, that he was perfect and that he was God, but he never sinned even though he was a man and tempted? Do we believe that? Because he says, he says that, he claims that, he claims that this is who he is. Do we believe that he is the Messiah who can save us from our sins? Some of us do. Some of us believed that last night. Some of us may not. And so tonight, I want to talk about what we do believe and what we don't believe. Do we believe that Jesus saved us, that we are sinners, that we need a Savior, that he is the Messiah and he is who he said he is? Do we believe he died and was resurrected? That he was, his man died, but then he raised from the dead because he was also God and death could not hold him. We sang about it. Do we believe it? Do we believe that Jesus is now raised? That he is ruling from the right hand of God? That he is not in the grave? Do we believe it because the disciples said they saw it? Do we believe this? Do we believe that all who trust and obey him will also be resurrected and enjoy eternal fellowship with God? Those of you who are saved, do you know this is what's going to happen when you die? Do you know that when you die, you're going to follow in the example of Jesus Christ because you are a Christian? You are like Christ, and so when you die, you will experience the same resurrection and eternal life with God. Now, we are not equal to Christ. We will never be exactly like God. He, he far surpasses any of us, but we will follow Jesus' example. Hebrews said he was the first fruit of creation. He died and was resurrected, and we will follow that example. That is our fate if we are Christians. If we are not Christians, that is not our fate. We will not spend eternity with God because we don't choose to. That's the reality. We will spend eternity separated from God. These are the two spectrums that we believe in the Christian faith. What do you believe? What have you chosen to believe? Do we believe that he was king of Israel and the world? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is king of the world? God says he has all authority. Do we believe that? Do we believe he would send the Holy Spirit to believers? So he told the disciples, look, here's the deal. I'm leaving you, and you're going to feel alone. You're going to feel as if I've left you, but I'm not leaving you alone. Because guess what? I'm sending my spirit to you. And my spirit's going to give you everything that you need for life and godliness. My spirit's going to give you everything that you need to go out and tell people who I am. And not just that, it's going to give you the faith to believe what it is that you say you believe. When you start doubting, I, the spirit will remind you of who I am. 
and will give you the confidence that this is true. The Spirit will help you to do the hard things like be kind when you're angry, to love your enemy when you don't want to, when things have been unfair. The Spirit will give you the power to do that. Guess why? Because God, Spirit, is love. He is kindness. He is faithfulness. So when we live according to him, when his spirit's in us, we, we are able to live in ways that we wouldn't otherwise. We were born into sin. I mean, like we have a natural gravitation to sin, but God says, no, I'm going to send my spirit to you, and you're going to be able to do things you didn't think you could do. You're going to be able to forgive when you don't think you can. You're going to be able to heal from things that other people who don't have my spirit won't be able to because you're going to rely on me. This is what it means to live by the Spirit. And here's the last thing. The disciples would become witnesses to the world. To the world. Jesus said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, (laughs) and the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What Jesus is saying here is you'll begin with the people of God, the Jews, and you'll spread out to the ones that feel rejected. And then we'll spread out to people who are far off from God. Gentiles, people who have never heard of, of necessarily ever that they should believe in Yahweh. You're going to go and tell them. And now we get to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we, it's a, it's what we get to do. And yet many of us are afraid. And the reality is we don't have to be afraid. We are given this wonderful gift And it's free to us in that we don't have to earn it, but it's not free in that we should not tell people about it. We should. We should tell. This is how encountering Jesus changes everything. It should change everything. And look, it it doesn't change you overnight. It's a process. Salvation is the point at which you receive Jesus, but it's a process you experience of how to do it your whole entire life. I want to show you some examples of how this happened in my life. So um, when I uh, married Clayton, one of the things that he had done that I hadn't done was go skydiving. Yeah. So here's the deal. I'm a recreation management major. And I used to go rock climbing and rappelling. I used to go caving into, like, super small caves that you had to, like, crawl like a worm through. I mean, I was the adventure person, okay? So when I heard he had jumped out of a plane, there was this, like, this competition inside me. All I kept hearing was, yeah, I'm a 15 million high-level jumper-out-of-plane person. And I've done this on my own, and I've done it a million times because I had a friend who was a ranger, and he used to fly the plane, and I used to jump out. And I I literally would listen to him and just say, well, I can do that. But I had never had the opportunity. And so um, after I had my kids, which is probably the worst time to do it because I feel like you should do it before you have kids, and they're, you know, you're responsible for them. But anyway, all that to say, I just thought if I die, my husband's still here. (laughs) So... um, I had a friend call me and say, look, I'm going skydiving. Do you want to go with me? And I was like, oh, gosh, uh, yes, 
was the first thing because I want to do it too. And I want to be able to say I went skydiving too, you know. Even though I wasn't going to be able to do it by myself, I was going to have to do it tandem. And so tandem means like someone else jumps out with you who knows what they're doing and like packs the chute and all that wonderful stuff so that you don't die. And so anyway, (laughs) I need water. Maybe I'm getting nervous about skydiving right now. Um, But she asked me if I wanted to go skydiving, and I was like, sure. So I signed up. You would not believe how nervous I was driving (laughs) to the place. I just kept thinking to myself, my kids are in the car with me. My husband's in the car with me. And I'm like, I'm just signing up for this. Like, no one's, like, making me do this. There's not an emergency. You know, we're not on a plane. And they're like, the plane's going to crash. Look for water. You know, like, I mean, it's just me. But I did it. And here's the reality. I could stand up here and tell you that I jumped out of a plane. And maybe you would believe me because it sounds like a great story, or maybe you wouldn't. But if I show you a picture of me skydiving, that is me, you would see that I did do it. Now, I wish I could, like, pinch it bigger so you could see my face because I'm, maybe you can't see my hands, but I'm like this. Like, in this moment, my chute is not open, and I probably would not have jumped out if that guy on my back hadn't jumped out and I had to go with him because I was strapped to him. The chute is not open, and, and I, at this moment, I'm thinking to myself, I can't breathe because the air was passing by my mouth so fast that I couldn't get any in. And so I thought, I'm not going to die from splatting. I'm going to die from suffocating. Yeah. And so I, I just thought I really was going to suffocate and die in the air. And so, but then he pulled the chute and I could breathe. Unfortunately, when we got on the ground, I said I couldn't breathe. And he said, yeah, you're supposed to breathe through your nose. And I'm like, yeah, you should have told me that before I jumped out. So anyway, but... Here's the thing, even if I just had this picture and this man wasn't here, you might believe it's me, you might not, okay? The next picture will show you I had witnesses. (laughs) So this is Jacob and Jojo. (laughs) Um, They were there, and you would not believe when I landed on the ground and my legs felt like jello, I wanted to hug them because I was like, I'm alive, I can still be your mom now. And so that was exciting. They probably don't remember this moment much, and so they might not be great witnesses for you to tell you that they saw me jump out of a plane because they were so little, but this next picture will show you who would be a good witness, my husband. So he could tell you, yes, Shari is very competitive, and she thought to herself, she's going to jump out of a plane because I did, and then she did it, (laughs) and then he was glad I was alive too, (laughs) right? So here's what happens. I did this. I know I did it. It was real. I'm telling you. I have witnesses who saw me do this. I even have pictures. If you wanted to see a video, I could find it somewhere. I believe in what I saw and did because I did it and I saw it. That's what the Bible is. This is what the gospel is. This is what... The Bible is all over, but specifically Luke is saying, I have proof that Jesus was here. I have proof that he lived. 
I have proof that he died. I have proof that he resurrected. I saw his wounds. I ate with him. He taught us. I, you know, well, Luke didn't actually see it because he wasn't a disciple, but he had witnesses that he wrote the scriptures from. John saw it. They all lived in the time of Jesus. They experienced the gospel from the man, Jesus Christ, who was also God. They saw this happen. So it's up to us to believe or to choose whether we're going to believe what they say or not in the scriptures, to take it at face value, to read it, analyze it, let the spirit teach us and guide us and show us who God is. Do we believe it? That's what the Bible is here for. That's why it's so essential. Let me show you uh, what, how the Lord has done this in my life, how the gospel has played out, the story of how he's changed me. Here's a picture of me when I was in middle school. It's really awesome, by the way. I have super curly hair. No, oh, yep. <clears throat> yeah. Do you love it? That's right. I think this is seventh grade. So I had just had headgear, and then I went to braces. Um, and then my mom said, hey, I'm getting a perm. Do you want to get one, too? And I was like, guess so. And then that happened. Um, so <laughs> I want to tell you a story about this time in my life. I want you to see... This is me at that time in my life. I had moved. I was going to a middle school in Atlanta. I had moved from the country. I felt very out of place. I didn't have a ton of friends, but believe it or not, this shirt and this hairstyle was actually kind of in style, sort of. <laughs> and so... But I felt out of place. And let me tell you why I felt out of place in my school. Because I really did love Jesus. I was trying my hardest to do everything that I could do to live for him in the way that I knew. There were a lot of people who did not. Some did. Many did not. I felt out of place. I didn't feel out of place at church. Didn't feel out of place in some of the other groups that I was in, but in my high school, I did. There was a girl sitting beside me in one of my history classes, and she had start, She had been dating this guy, and she experienced something that was very fearful for her. They were sleeping together at the time, and she thought that she was pregnant, and she got scared, and she told him, and he broke up with her. And she was afraid. And then she no longer had any friends. And she asked me to be her friend. I'm going to tell you, this scared me because I wasn't living the same sort of life as she was living. And I was a little bit afraid that maybe she would influence me and I wouldn't know how to be a good friend to her, that I would maybe make decisions that weren't good for me. So I asked my mom to help me. My mom did. We took her on spring break with us and our family, and we had a good time. Um, and here's what happened in her life. When we came back from the trip, she found out she wasn't pregnant. And when she told this boyfriend, 
he asked if they wanted to continue to go out, and she said yes, and so they entered back into this relationship together. What's hard about this is that um, I felt like at that point I lost a friend, and I did. But here's what I want to say about this situation. I do believe that I did what God wanted me to do. I loved her the best that I knew how. I ended up getting hurt by it. But I do believe that God took that ministry and I was there to love her in a time when she did not feel loved. Some of you might say she's shallow for going back to this guy. I would say that I think we all make decisions when we are feeling unloved that we might regret. And, I, and she was just looking for a place to belong. We all make decisions that we might regret. But here's the thing. I believe that God will put us in places where we can love people in safe ways when they are feeling unloved. And I believe that God allowed me to be that for her. Now, I did not understand that at the time. But when I look back and I look at that picture, it reminds me of that challenge that I had to be Jesus to someone else. There's a picture of my brother that they showed earlier. We look really silly. Um, my brother was highly obnoxious uh, at this age. And, um, and he, I loved my brother. I still love my brother. But at this point, I was kind of preteen, and he was not preteen. He was obnoxious, still young, like eight-ish. And he was always pestering me, and we got in a fight one day and at home. And even though I loved him, I lost my temper, and I just pushed him. Well, I didn't realize that he was a st at the top of a staircase. <laughs> and when I pushed him, he rolled down the entire staircase and got crunched in between the door and the stairs. And at first, like, I... I felt so bad, I was in a panic, and I, I went to chase, like run down the stairs and go to him and say to him, I'm sorry, I love you, but literally like right behind me, I felt this presence, and my mom had come over, and she saw what happened, and she said, she said, did you push him down the stairs? Wow, that's a really low voice for my mom. I'm sorry, I just started losing my voice. My mom said, did you push him down the stairs? I don't know. I can't do it. And I was like, yes. And she said, well, go apologize. Now, before my mom came there, I wanted to apologize. When she demanded it of me, I rebelled. And I looked at her, and it was a terrible response. And I said, um, no, because then I'll be sinning twice. I will have hurt him, and I'll be lying because I'm not sorry. Yes, yes. So I don't really know why you're clapping. <laughs> but let me tell you this. It might have been smart, Alec, and it might have been great for a sitcom, and it might have been great for TV, it might have been great entertainment. You might be cheering from there. But I went into my room, and I got a spanking, and I hadn't gotten one in forever. At 11 years old, she was going to give me a spanking. She's like, this is weird. I haven't spanked you in forever. You never really get in trouble. She went to hit me. 
Sorry, something's in here that's messing my throat up. She went to spank me and hit my knee. Don't laugh, please. She hit my knee. She sprained her wrist. And she was hurt. All of these things happened because of me. And I realized this. Let me tell you what I realized. That I have a choice to respond with honor and respect toward my mom or with disrespect. And with disrespect, there are consequences that are sinful. And with honor and respect, there is not. And I did not make the right choice, but I have learned from them that when, from that time, that when I am asked to do something that I don't want to do and this rebellion rises up from me, inside me, God can give me the power to make the right choice if I allow him. And I get to make that choice. And when I make a choice that abides with who he is and his character, then I will receive his blessings. When I do not, I don't receive his blessings. I receive the consequences of my sins. This is something I have learned by walking with Jesus. This is what it means when when it says Jesus changes everything. I can choose rebellion, I can choose obedience, and my life will reflect the things that I choose. The fruit will be seen in my life. This is the choice that you have. You lay down your life or you don't. When you lay down your life, you look more like Christ. When you don't, you don't look more like Christ. You look more like yourself. You look more like sin. And it is repulsive when you say that you're a Christian And yet you don't live like Christ. And the world will call you out. And the world should call us out. Because we are called to lay our lives down. We are called to live like Christ. Your gift of eternal life was free, but it... It cost Jesus everything, and it should cost us too. There is a consequence to us living in sin and saying that we believe in Christ, and that consequence is that the world does not believe Christ is who he says he is and that God is who he says he is. So we carry a heavy burden, but God has given us his spirit to allow us the power we need To live according to his word, we have to choose it when we're given that opportunity. He doesn't magically make us look like Christ. This is a relationship between us and God. What will we choose? Will you put the next picture up, please? I actually can't remember what it is. Okay. This is my mom and dad. I think this is the last. This is one of the only pictures that I have of them together. This is at my high school graduation. I love both of them, but in my life, they weren't together very much with me. They didn't, I didn't live with them. I don't remember living with them in the same home. I don't remember ever really spending a lot of time with them together. 
this is hard for me. And let me tell you, the fruit of this in my life was that I did not believe marriage could work. I did not believe that I could be married, that it could last, that a husband and wife could be together. In fact, when I was a senior in college, I was ready to go on a missions field and just be on my own, me and God. I was ready to not go through the whole marriage thing. But then the Lord planted a seed in my heart that I could actually start believing that something like marriage could work if he helped me. If I married someone who also believed in Christ, was changing to be like Christ, the two of us together pursuing Christ could possibly make marriage work for me. That was how it began. What you see on, on stage, really, me and my husband and my son, I didn't believe in what we have right now when I was a senior in college. I certainly didn't believe it here. And yet, if you'll put the picture of me, just skip to me and the, uh, my boys, if you don't mind. This is me and my kids. This is me as a mom. I had already gotten married at this point. I started seeing that God was going to help me do this thing called marriage, that he's helped Clayton and I learn how to fight and still love, how to disagree and know that it's going to be okay, how to have two kids <laughs> that... I just looked at when they were born and thought, how in the world can I make them love Jesus? Like, you can't make your kids love Jesus. They have to choose it. And every day I was afraid. I was afraid that they wouldn't choose to love the Lord. But God has been faithful in this. I have no control over it, but I've tried to be obedient as a mom. I felt incapable, to be honest, to be a mom. I felt like a failure as a mom, but God literally gave me strength every day, came, coming out of depression, believing that this could work, that I could make decisions according to how God was leading me, and possibly these kids could turn out okay to be loving God, and I'm thankful that they do. Let me ask you, how many of your parents are on their knees every day asking God to be with you, to help you get through this season that you're in, trying, they're carrying the burden of who you are and where you're living? I believe that if you have parents who are doing that, you should treasure them. If you don't have parents like that, I know you have leaders who do, or friends. Look, you're not alone in this life. This is why we're here. We're here to witness the fact that God changes people who can't change themselves. God changes us into an image of who he is. And then we look back and we're amazed. How in the world did I not believe I could be a mom and then God helped me? How in the world did I believe that I could get through middle school and, and somehow, literally, I'm, I'm not kidding you guys, when I married my husband, we when we were dating, I thought we would mess up a hundred times physically, but I'll tell you, we didn't. The Lord kept us pure for marriage, and it was a beautiful thing. Did we believe we could do it? Mm, yes, I think, but, but the Lord really gave us the power. We couldn't have done it on our own. So this is how Jesus changes us. It's not magic. We become witnesses 
to how the gospel changes us into people who look like Christ, even though inside we see all the ways that we've missed the mark. So I don't know what your impression of being a Christian has been up until now. I don't know if you thought it was just like a ticket to get you out of hell. I don't know if you just thought it was something that you had to choose because your parents told you. But look, this is the thing. God wants to be restored to you. He doesn't want to spend eternity away from you. That's why he sent Jesus to be with you. That's why the disciples went out and gave their lives so that this message could be with us here today. That's why we have, I thought I had my Bible, but I don't. That's why we have the scriptures that we do so that we can know God and be restored to him. And guess what? One day, if you believe in Christ, we will resurrect and no longer have to worry about making these awful decisions. We will not be inflicted with sin anymore. And that is how Jesus changes everything. He does. Everything you've, you knew, every, all the sin that you struggle with, all the ways that you want to change and you just feel frustrated, guess what? Jesus will change everything in one day. When we die and we resurrect and we meet him face to face, we will no longer be able to choose evil. We will only be always in the presence of God and each other. This is what it means to be reborn. It, it's everything. So, does Jesus do what he says? You have to, I mean, I can tell you I believe it. You have to believe it. You have to. It can't be on me. You choose this. Now, here's the second question. Will we do what Jesus says? And now here's the harder one. Will we share what Jesus said and does in our lives with others? Salvation is a point at which you receive Jesus, but it's a process. And you don't have to be perfect tonight. Many of you met Jesus yesterday. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these questions that I've asked, and I really want you to think about them. I'm glad that you're affirming that this is what you want to do. We should praise and celebrate that. Also, I want you to go home and consider what that means for you. What does it mean for you to lay down your life? What does it mean for Jesus to change everything? I can only show you what it meant for me and what it means for me. Now, it's up to you to determine what that means for you in your life and in your situation. I'm going to pray for us right now.
Lord, I thank you for your word. You can change everything. You can and you will. I pray that we would ask you, that we would have open hands before you, that we would trust you. And if we don't trust you and we don't have open hands, I pray that you would help us to open those hands up and give you full reign of our lives. We love you and we praise you. In your name I pray, amen. All right. Guys, I want to ask you, hey, let's be quiet for just a second. I felt like God was speaking to me. Look, I've asked a lot of questions if you believe tonight. And I think that there are probably some of you who may not have really believed yet. So what I would like to do right now is have you all close your eyes. And if you need to receive Jesus right now, if you have realized, you know, I, I haven't believed. Like, I've kind of just been riding along. Kind of just been cheering for Jesus, but not really giving him who I am. If you need to be saved tonight, now, from your sins, I want you to raise your hand right now. If you need to give Jesus your life, raise your hand on the count of three. Ready? One. Two, three. All right. Those of you who raised your hands, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And this prayer that I'm praying, just because you're repeating it from me, doesn't mean that I, I am saving you. Jesus is the one. And it's, it's your conversation with him. But I'm going to help you right now because a lot of times when we first begin our relationship with Jesus, we don't know how to pray to him. So that's why I'm going to lead you in this prayer. So if you need to receive Jesus, I want you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I understand I'm a sinner. I understand that I'm broken. But I also understand that you died for my sins. And I thank you for saving me. Right now, I put my trust in you. I give you my life. 
I give you my all. Help me to love you. Help me to pursue you. Thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Those of you who prayed, I'm going to beg you right now, plead with you. I plead with you to talk to someone so that you have someone who can help you from now forward. Sometimes we become ashamed. Don't let the devil steal what Jesus just did in your life. You have no reason to be ashamed because Jesus just took care of your sin. So here's what you do. You pull someone, a leader, to you tonight and you have a conversation with them and you tell them how you have been changed. And now this is your point of beginning a relationship with God and it will only continue your whole life until you see him one day and he loves on you. So please follow up with someone. I'm so proud of you and I'm so excited for the life that Jesus has for you now. Thank you. Well, I hope today's podcast gave you some little secrets for your big breakthrough. If you are inspired and encouraged by this message, our speakers would love to be a part of your next event or speak at your church. You can request a speaker on claytonkinglive.com forward slash speakers. That's claytonkinglive.com forward slash speakers. And finally, please let us know how this podcast has impacted you on our Overcoming Monday Instagram account. You can send me a DM or leave a comment. Thanks for listening. I hope I've given you something to overcome your Monday.